It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Well, hello. Well, hello. It's nice to be back in your snug. I've never thought of it as a snug before. No, but it feels quite snug today. I definitely feel in the need of a snug because I went swimming today and the temperature has definitely dropped. Oh, are you getting into swimming, are you? <laughs> On the subject of swimming, I, I sent you a photograph of Matt Hancock. He sent me a picture of me in my swimming trunks, and then Matt Hancock, I just didn't quite know how to reply to I was to trying that. to do, like, a who wore it best. Oh, I don't know. Unfortunately, it's a close-run thing. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know I don't like to compliment you unnecessarily, but you have a very different physique to Matt Hancock. Well, I don't know about that. I would feel a lot more confident about you jumping out of a helicopter on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Do you think I made a mistake by not going on the after show for I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, which is the only <laughs> offer I ever had, I think? You know, it's it's an in, isn't it? No. <laughs> you work your way up. Do you think there's any way in which this is a wise career move from Matt Hancock's point of view? Here's what I think everybody who does those shows thinks. They think, but if they could just get to know me, it'd change everything. If people could just see the real me, which I, I can't imagine that's that going to work be out true. for him. No, in but the, that might be true. Ed Balls managed to completely reframe himself on yeah, Strictly. Yeah. But for every Ed Balls, there's a bunch of people for whom that doesn't quite work the same way. And I suspect Matt Hancock might be one of them. And why is that? I'm basing it on what I glean about uh, him, about him oh. from the media. But you've talked to him. Are, are the public labouring under a misapprehension? I think people will always come across as more of a human being than they appear in their cardboard cutout media portrayal. This is a separate point from the wisdom of going off to do it while he's supposed to be an MP. Yes. But but you know what I mean. But are they going to come across as the human being they think they are? Everybody's walking around thinking they're the hero of the story, when what reality TV has taught us these past few decades is you're often the villain or, or the fool. An interesting thing is, so I've I've had a few friends and acquaintances go on these types of shows. Yeah. And you think that under that microscope, the real them is going to yeah. show up. There's a couple of people I have in mind yeah. who are, to put it politely, difficult people. Yeah. And I think, what the hell are you thinking and of? And what happened? When bad they both came across incredibly well. Ah. So people's ability to mask their own personality 24 well, hours a day. But so that's rather a sort of... That's rather arguing for the... It is, but lots of people have come across very badly on those things as well, haven't they? I don't know. This is why I think you're just better off doing The Masked Singer. I think I'm better off avoiding 
avoiding all of that malarkey. What about when they eventually do the uh, inevitable cold water swimming format? Well, there is a Wim Hof. Oh, yeah. T- took people off to the something or other. You'd be great on that. I'm not sure. You could um, highlight I think the that- effects of climate change in the Arctic with the melting ice. Well, I think the kind of problem with some of these things is that the tasks you have to do are kind of slightly... I mean, the Wim Hof thing was like jumping into ice water and all yeah. of that. Yeah, they're not going to let you talk about climate crisis for any meaningful yeah. amount of time. And that's why Matt Hancock saying, I feel really passionately about dyslexia. Oh, yeah, ITV are going to be giving uh, <laughs> giving over vast amounts of airtime to in-depth discussion of that issue then. It's not just going to be you screaming as you're covered in maggots or whichever. I suppose the thing in the back of my mind is, look, I, I'm not comparing myself to Matt Hancock, or maybe I am, but think about the public perception of me, you know, 2015, and then... Okay, well, maybe maybe I'm laboring under a misapprehension too. But, you know, do you know what I'm getting at No, here? I know exactly what you're getting at. But what's been interesting with you is this podcast... Let's talk about me for a minute. No, yeah. but this, this podcast was the first thing you did. And then there were like little bits of things around the same time as we launched this where you weren't walking yeah. into a TV studio to be skewered yeah. or a radio. Yeah. And you just got to be yourself. Yeah. And because you were no longer leader, you, yeah. you weren't doing that thing yeah. in your head where you're thinking, okay, if I say yeah. this, can it be taken yeah. out of context? People loved you. Actually, you're one of these people who it would work really well for, I think. But is that true of Matt Hancock? Have we all got him wrong? I think most people I know in politics, I don't want to sound like too happy-clappy here, but most people I know in politics, when you actually sit down and talk to them, they're perfectly decent people who you can have a kind of decent conversation yeah, with. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. But then you get this other thing, don't you, where somebody like Boris Johnson... Or I think a, he might be a different... No, category. but that, that's quite interesting because I see it in entertainment all the time. There are, there are people who are, are terrible, nasty bullies or narcissists or whatever it is in real life who for some reason on camera or microphone just seem charming and charismatic. Well, that's interesting. People are complicated, and people's public images are complicated. By the way, I'm not saying he should be going on this, because he clearly shouldn't be going on this. Just want to be clear about this. He clearly shouldn't be going on this and trying to be an MP. But the Ed Balls thing is interesting, isn't it? Mm. And I think he, Ed Balls has actually said this, that he thinks Matt Hancock is crackers to do it because Ed Balls was post being an MP when he did the different things he's done. So in a long-winded way, is this you saying that if the I'm a celebrity after show thing are, are interested in making an approach for you to go to, was it Hounslow? I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> then, then you can send them your avails. No. <laughs> nope. What if they brought back celebrity squares? Blankety blank. I'd love to see you. University on, challenge. <laughs> I'd love to see you on that rotating panel of celebrities all waving at the camera. Maybe you'd be quite a good blankety blank host. My my stock has fallen. That I think if if the PTA at my son's school <laughs> were arranging a school blankety blank, I don't, I don't think I would be considered as I host th- of that at this point in my career. I think you would be honestly. <laughs> I think you would be. I think you'd be in the top three candidates. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be at least first reserve. Uh, now, on to more weighty matters. Obviously, COP27 this week. We have a new prime minister since the last time we spoke. There are many pressing issues affecting the country and, and the world. So what are we talking about this week? Well, this week we are taking a break from our normal seriousness although there are some serious aspects to this, and we're talking about pickleball. 
And this was inspired by me reading articles in the New York Times. It's been a long time coming, but we've assembled a great cast of characters to talk about what is America's fastest growing sport, which is also taking off massively here too. We're going to be talking to US pickleball legend Jennifer Lucor, who's in the Pickleball Hall of Fame. You would surely you would call that the Pickle Hall of Fame, wouldn't you? Pickle Hall of Fame, about the rise of the sport in the States. We're then coming a bit closer to home and talking to Pickleball England's Volunteer of the Year, Louise Stevens. And finally, two young players, Jesse Danger and Sam Basford, about why they're so optimistic about the game's future. You're optimistic, and I'm ready to be converted. Excellent. What's your reason to be cheerful? My reason to be cheerful is I want to thank you for paying various passers-by in London on my various cycle routes <laughs> for saying nice things to me, including about the podcast. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I can bask in the reflected glory there. And then... Uh, I was just going to the BBC to do some interviews. And as I was walking to the BBC, a guy stopped me and said, can I just say I really love your brother's podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, do, do, mm, uh, uh, do you mean that? And he said, yeah. I said, which podcast is it? He goes, reasons to be cheerful. And I said, oh, that's just mine, actually. <laughs> Has he been listening all this time thinking that you were I David? Or did he think you were David? I don't know. I probably, well, one of those two. So wow. anyway, I think probably the latter. But You're holding a banana in a strange way at the you, time. It was a money, well, I'm ignoring that. It was money well spent. Uh, the second one, hmm, I think maybe you should ask for a little bit of the money back. <laughs> What's your reason to be cheerful? Christopher Wren. Mm-hmm. Christopher Wren. Yes. The architect. Exactly. Yes, yes, yeah. I have a newfound respect for him. My son has been doing the Great Fire of London at school. He went to St Paul's Cathedral this week. They had to make a model to do with the uh, Great Fire of London for his homework. And he decided that he wanted to build a model of St Paul's Cathedral before the fire, the old one. And I was up till nearly five o'clock this morning finishing oh it up. My God. And I just have a newfound respect for Christopher Wren. And I, I just want to stress this isn't because I built something fabulous and intricate. I just put together the bits that he did, but I am so cack-handed. It looked like something a six-year-old would make, because that's the level of ability I have. Was he pleased with it? He, he had some mild criticisms. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. So to start our conversation, I'm delighted to say that we're joined by Jennifer Lucor, who is professional pickleball player and ambassador, author of the book History of Pickleball, and is on her way after she speaks to us to the Pickleball National Championships in Indian Wells. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, look, it's great. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about how you first got into pickleball and some of your career highlights to date. All right. Well, uh, I'd say I've been playing pickleball about 15 years, and people are always amazed at that because they're like, I didn't know the sport was around that long. How many years has it been around? It has been around since 1965. Oh, Okay. Right. Yeah. So it's it's been around. But, you know, obviously, when you're new to it, you always think, oh, it must be brand new because I just found out about it. My parents have been playing and they uh, live here in California. And then they would travel to Arizona and all the different states and play. And so me and my brother would always think, like, what the heck are my parents playing like this pickle thing? Right. Because, you know, the name is a little interesting. Yeah. Finally, I went out on the courts and then I've been playing. And so I got addicted like my parents and my brother still hasn't figured us out, but uh, it's super fun. And yeah, so because of them. Has he, has he taken a DNA test? <laughs> He's like, I'm too busy. I'm working. Switched at birth. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about some of your career highlights. 
Some of the highlights, uh, well, I have this uh, doubles partner, Alex Hamner. And the cool thing is, is we have won the USA Nationals Open women's doubles four times, four wow. years in a row. So that was really cool because wow. um, we were in our late 40s. Because I started pickleball like when I was 45. Um, And so playing with like, you know, the 20 year olds and stuff. So to be able to hang with them was really cool. Um, But now in the pickleball world, when you're 50 or over, you can play in the senior pros. So that's kind of cool. So now you have some options. I feel like we've gone too long, Jennifer, without asking you the very basic question, which is how do you play pickleball? How would you describe the game? How does it compare to tennis? And what this equipment do you need? Just give us some of the basics. Some of the basics. All right. It's on a small court, like a badminton size, right? Yeah. So you can get four pickleball courts on one tennis court. So you got kind of the visual. You yeah. got the lower net. You got a paddle, which is solid, like no strings. And then you have a wiffle ball. Uh, it's it's not actually a wiffle ball. It looks like one. So it's a ball with some holes in it. It's plastic. Um, and then you just serve underhand and away you go. And, and you it can bounce. Away. You're allowed to get it to bounce. Are yep. You? We get it to, to bounce and you play to 11 points. Yep. And you can earn points when you're serving. Yeah. And um, super, super fun. You know, it depends, you know, whatever skill levels on the other side is how you're rolling. So you could... Go really fast or, you know, a nice slow game. So it's like half the size of a tennis court. Is that right? About half? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, what is it? 40 by 22. Right. And yeah. and it's with play with things that are like large versions of table tennis rackets, ping pong rackets. Yeah, yeah. it's a little, it's uh, almost like twice the size of a um, ping pong paddle. Right. And and then it's played with a wiffle ball. So that's and and and, and, and singles or doubles. It's not a team sport. It's singles or doubles. Yeah, or mixed doubles. Right, got just kind of like tennis. And the history of it. Then I mean, you 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 literally wrote the book. What led to that decision? Is it not well documented? Is there a lot of misinformation, rumors, fake news? Yes, 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 yes. So as you know, you know, the internet tells all different kinds of uh, variations of everything. And um, because my parents have been playing so long, they actually knew a lot of the pioneers that got the sport going, because really the sport grew organically. It was growing and we thought, you know what, no one really has the stories of the pioneers and how we got all, how it got invented. So we were lucky enough to interview several of them. Because you guys probably know no one's getting younger, right? You've got to document it while you still can. And if you were carving the uh, pickleball Mount Rushmore, who would be on there? Oh, well, definitely the founders, right? So there's three families, um, three gentlemen that started pickleball. And again, this was off Seattle, um, the island of Bainbridge Island. So they had this little game they were doing. And um, of course, it wasn't named right away. And of course, there was that dog named Pickles. But the three founders, Barney McCallum, who I got to know for about 10 years. So I got all my good stories and stuff from him. And then there was Bill Bell. And then there was Joel Pritchard, who was um, into politics. And that's always some good stories there. So basically, those three guys got it rolling. And here we are. And and then with the dog's head also be on the pickleball Mount Rushmore. Exactly. Dead center for sure. And this this is real. Uh, The game is named for a dog. Yes, that is real. Wow. And the dog was called Pickles. Yes. And Pickles would just chase the ball around. And then finally, like, you keep playing this activity that you've kind of invented, right? And you keep fine-tuning it. And they're like, we got to call it something. Pickles, pickle, pickles, ball, chases the ball. Pickleball. And, and, 
And how did it go from there to being a sport played by upwards of 5 million people in the US? You have your stats there. Yeah, we do. <laughs> You've been playing, right, Ed? No, I haven't. I'm desperate to. Never played. Oh, my gosh. I know it's terrible. I'm embarrassed, but I'm desperate to. You could have just said yes. I you know, hit it a couple of times and you yeah, said yeah. I wish that were true, but no, yeah. I'm afraid not. <laughs> yeah. So basically, because it's so darn fun, as you will soon learn when you get out there yeah. on the court, I mean, truly, you know, 15, 20 minutes, you kind of figure out how to play. And of course, there's three other people there on the court with you that will gladly show you how to do it and what the score is and all that good stuff. But it really does seem like there's been this tipping point. It came onto Ed's radar uh, because some pieces in the New York Times. And and now it does feel like with regularity, you read stories about the explosion of pickleball. What what is the recent thing that has changed? Well, it's it's been, you know, in the last couple of years, basically. So lots of companies and manufacturers and money, right, are getting into it and just bursting at the seams. So lots of more higher end sponsors are, you know, providing that for the the pickleball pros. So now there's more pros and you guys might even heard um, this last year, we have major league pickleball, right? And so this is maybe what you guys are catching that all these big um, athletes and movie stars and influencers are all like, I want to own a pickleball team. That sounds so great. And has has that happened? Has a Hollywood star or a famous athlete bought a pickleball team yet? Yeah. Like the pro athletes, we have uh, Tom Brady, Kevin Durant, Drew Brees, James Blake. Oh, this is hot news. Just yesterday, a second pro major league tour has created and the Shark Tank guy, a Mark Cuban, just bought a team. Wow. Oh, wow. Well, if we, we call that Dragon's Den here. And if one of the dragons <laughs> is investing in it, it's, it's now, a surefire now, success. Now, can I just ask you, because I have read some of this and I suspect this is overdone, but you, you need to tell us, is there an emerging rivalry between tennis and pickleball in some parts of the US? Is that becoming an issue for the pickleball community? I do think like the media loves to run with it, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's exciting. Who's yeah. who's not liking who? Um, but as in the history book and the founders, they played tennis. They love tennis. I used to play tennis, love tennis. So um, they would always say, the founders, that, you know, both sports can get along. They both help each other, um, each other's game. However, we can get our people out of the house and play some sports. Like, we're all for that. And, and can I ask you, so Ed, Ed has been intrigued and talking about pickleball on the podcast. Yeah. And then we've had a little bit of email from people saying, oh, uh, cool your jets a second. Public mm-hmm. land is being repurposed for pickleball courts and it's been taken away from the community. Has there been some controversy around that? Yeah, I bet if you're probably, you know, a, a tennis lover, right, and your courts are really crowded, here in the United States, there are lots of empty tennis courts that have been like that for decades because they're like city owned and maybe a little dilapidated and not used at all. So when pickleball came, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, we could put four of those on one court, right? So we got 16 people like active and having fun, laughing. So um, it's kind of, you know, finding our way for sure. But But both can fit easily. And again, it's just about the big picture of getting active and, you know, finding the sport you love. What I'm not quite understanding is there there are so many games available for people to play. Why do you think a new one has caught the imagination in the way that it has? 
it's not that new, but it's Rel- yeah, yes, exactly. in the long arc of history. Yes, it, and uh, be- I definitely think because it's super social, and basically, like I said, you go out on the court and a game, right to eleven. It could be fifteen minutes, thirty minutes, so it's a it's a quick turnover, and then you have new people that you play with. And the cool thing is, you know, it's for all levels. So the grandparents can actually hang with the grandkids and playing because there is that whole strategy and the soft game and the hard game. And, you know, so it, it can be quite competitive for sure on all ages. And you're off to Indian Wells, as I said at the outset for the pickleball, uh, the national championships. What are you expecting to happen there? Is that going to be a big deal? Are there lots of competitors? How long does it last? What's 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 the vibe? Yeah, it's actually the biggest deal in our sport. So every year we have a nationals. Um, and again, it's by USA Pickleball, which is our governing body. It's a, probably nine, 10 days. And um, if, if you're in the tennis world, you definitely know Indian Wells, right? Yeah. That's they have the huge tennis tournament. Yeah. Then we all come there and play and battle away. And there's a big crowd. There's the grandstands. And then all around all the other 50-some courts there are. Um, trying to get all these people through from pretty much age 10, 11, all the way up to about 95. And what's your personal hopes for the championships this year, Jennifer? Uh, To survive. (laughs) 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 Just another day of survival. Well, look, it's been fantastic to talk to you. We can feel your infectious enthusiasm uh, for this sport. We're going to be talking to some British participants shortly, but... For, for now, thank you so much and good luck at Indian Wells. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. With us now is Louise Stevens, who is a coach and Pickleball England Volunteer of the Year. Hello, Louise. Hello, Jeff. Let me tell you, Louise, Ed, I think, has, has been trying to claim credit for being the first person in the UK <laughs> to, to see pickleball on the horizon no i'm the first person on this podcast well i think you can lay claim to that uh he's, he's clearly wrong louise you've been doing this for a while tell us your story how did you find out about pickleball how did you become involved in it well i started about six years ago six and a half years ago that's more than six months ed yeah that's true uh, just <laughs> um a friend in america had been playing and said, you've got to play this game, pickleball. And I was like, "Mm, sounds ridiculous. (laughs) Um, But she said, no, it's a really good game, really good game. You must play it. I was like, well, there's no way anyone plays in England. So straight on the internet and uh, quick Google search, and there it was, pickleball being played in England, much to my surprise. When you saw that, was it like the clouds parting, the sunlight coming through you? Like, this this is going to be the thing for me. This is this is my life from now onwards. Yeah, I don't think I'm quite like Ed. It was <laughs> a, a very slow realisation that it might be a sport for me. I, I was a women's soccer player, a football player, many, many years ago and have never played any racket sport. So when I did find it, 
And I did eventually go to an introduction run by a guy over near Heathrow Airport. I was amazed at how much fun it was. And it literally went from zero to a million in two shots. We're yeah. at a major disadvantage, Jeff, in that we're doing a podcast about pickleball never having played it. I know. We really should have done, <laughs> uh, uh, like the park run episode, we went yeah. for a park run, we should have gone and played yeah. pickleball yeah. with Louise. Rachel did say this to us, to be fair. What is it, Louise? Why? I can't even tell you what it is that is so addictive. The people that play it, the friendliness. And that's, that's different from other sports that you play, oh, like football. Like, absolutely. Don't get me wrong, I'm still friends with football players I played with 40 years ago. But the friendships built around this sport is incredible. And how does it compare to tennis, Louise? It's completely different. It's, it is a sport that literally anyone can play. And anyone can play quickly. So with sports like tennis, you have to have five, six, seven lessons before you can really get on a court. If you go and play golf, you know, they won't even let you on the fairway until you've been on a driving range. I had a group of players last night that have never played pickleball. Eight people turned up for an introduction. By the end of the two-hour session, they were playing games. They were laughing. They were smiling. And they were booking in for tonight's session. What are you doing tonight, Ed? (laughs) (laughs) It's incredible. The game itself is is a wonderful game. It it can be as quick or as slow as you want it to be. You can be on court with, like, we've got somebody in our club, an 82-year-old woman. We've got a 16-year-old boy who comes and plays with his dad. And everyone is on the court. That's so interesting because I speak as somebody who at school would always get picked last. And then the team that I would end up on would resent having me on the team so much. I'd get kicked, I'd get bullied. But you can have that range. You can have that, that much difference in one team. Oh, yeah, it's it's brilliant. And am I right in thinking that pickleball is growing very quickly in the UK? Oh, exponentially. It's ridiculous. When I started playing six years ago, I'm going to say there were maybe 200 and 250 players. Yeah. I think Pickleball England have currently got 6,000 registered players. That's just Pickleball England. Wow. And that's just the registered players. I did a group on Wednesday, U3A, University of the Third Age, a group of people that just... Wanted to play. I mean, I'm desperate to go out and play. Now, in the US, Louise, I hate to raise, to sort of put a cloud in the otherwise blue sky, but in the US, I've been reading in the New York Times about some rivalries between tennis courts and pickleball courts. As I think about local courts around me in terms of tennis, I mean, presumably the next thing pickleballers are going to want is local courts, isn't it? Sure. Um, I think slightly different in the US and here that in the US it's very much an outdoor game right? where they play on tennis courts because they have the weather. Here it tends to be played more on badminton courts. Very much, Inside. Very much an indoor game. We do play outdoors and there are facilities like in Surrey they've just built a couple of outdoor courts. Um, a few people are painting over tennis courts. 
facts. Oh, but that's going to go down badly. Well, it seems to be going down very well. And in fact, right. the facility here have actually, they put down two pickleball courts and three tennis courts and they're going to overpaint the new tennis courts because pickleball has been more popular. But I think that you can sort of see some tennis purists might be a bit sceptical. I agree with you entirely. And I, I think certainly in the US, the Bobby Riggs Tennis Centre um, has been completely, I think now completely turned into pickleball. Wow. Because you can have so many more people playing. Why can you have more people playing, Lee? Sorry to ask a stupid question. Uh, so tennis tends to be a singles game. Oh, I see. In the majority, although they do play doubles. Oh, I see. It's a singles game. It goes on for quite a long time. Pickleball is the majority a doubles game. And a game can be over in 10 minutes. And then you could have another four on, then another four. So you have like a queuing system for pickleball. We have our facility uh, that we use in London. We have 24 people and a two-hour session. If that was tennis in the same space, there would be four people. Something I've noticed as somebody who doesn't engage with sports in any way is is that different sports seem to attract different sections of society, shall we say. Yeah. Does pickleball reflect the community that you live in or is it a certain type of person? No, 100% reflection of, of society. Our group, we have real extremes. I can't think of anybody from the community that is not represented in our group of London pickleball players. That's fantastic. And where do you see it going next, Louise? Olympic sport? Sure, yeah. Not for a while. Um, I'll be honest, I don't see it getting there quite yet. Yeah. I, I think the Olympic Committee say you have to have 70-something countries around the world. Right. But it's the fastest growing sport in, in the US. It's quite possibly the fastest growing sport in the UK now. Never mind Olympics. What about the TV rights? I mean, have, have Sky been in touch? <laughs> Is there a bidding war? Are you yeah. thinking you might, you might podcast bid for the, rights? You might bid for the TV rights. Podcast yeah. rights. I, I think podcast rights most certainly. I think you two are on it. Sponsorship. Uh, yeah, already happening. Already. Really? Happening. Wow. Yeah, Pickleball wow. England um, recently signed a deal with a company. I think they've got a three-year deal, sponsorship deal. Um, players, even players in the UK, are now being sponsored by paddle manufacturers. Um, wow. kit sponsors. And Louise, you, you were an award winner. T tell us about this uh, Volunteer of the Year. How, how did that happen? Oh, well, yeah, I'm thrilled. Um, Pickleball England asked the all its members to nominate uh, anybody in, in Pickleball that they thought had done a lot of work volunteering to grow and enhance Pickleball in the UK. And there were six people nominated uh, throughout England. And uh, somehow... I was lucky enough to have been voted as the National Pickleball England Volunteer of the Year. Can you give us any tips for running a successful election campaign? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just work your socks off and smile. Yeah, that's good. I'm not sure that's enough. No. Well, you weren't pictured eating a bacon oh, sandwich. Shut up. <laughs> Uh, I'm vegan, so no. <laughs> Very good. So, See, Ed, so, so vegan, there's a lesson there Veganism for you. is the answer. And, Louise, for our listeners, if they are thinking, OK, I'm in, uh, how do they find out about how where to play pickleball? 
Um, so all they have to do is go online and go onto the Pickleball England website. Yeah. And the Pickleball England website has lots and lots of information, but it also has a like a club locator. So you just put in your postcode. You can say how far you're willing to travel and it will come up with all the clubs and groups playing in your area. And how about spectators? If me and Ed came and started a Mexican wave, would it just be the two of us? There'll be more and more just because it's you two attending. (laughs) Well, look, Louise Stevens, it is incredibly inspiring to speak to you. I'd sort of basically feel a bit gutted if we haven't you know, tried it, but we're going to, aren't we, Jeff? Yes, yes. Under cover of darkness. Listen, yeah. I will do you a private pickleball lesson. Oh. If you don't want to see anyone else see wow. how brilliant you are straight away. I think Ed doesn't want to see anyone else pointing a camera phone at him on yeah, his first exactly, attempt. Exactly, my first pickleball. L- Louise, thank you so much. It's been great to speak to you. My pleasure entirely. And good luck on the courts. Now, to continue our conversation, I'm delighted to say that we are joined, I think I would call them Pickleball UK Elite, uh, Jesse Danger and Sam Basford. Jesse is a top eight sponsored player and national women's doubles bronze medalist. Uh, and Sam is regional director for Pickleball England and a master teaching professional. And he's just gone full time in Pickleball. Thank you so much for joining us, both of you. Thank you for having us. So maybe, Jesse, you can start. When did you hear about pickleball for the first time? I actually started randomly on holiday in Florida a few years ago. We just went to a local sports centre. We were looking for something to do and there was a pickleball group going on there. So we joined in for the afternoon um, and really loved it. I have played tennis basically all my life as well. So I have an experience with racket sports, but I properly started playing a year and a half ago because my friend introduced me to it. And since then, I've been going in to a club in rugby with Sam and I've been coached by all the members there. Compare it to tennis for us. I mean, you've obviously got the pickleball bug more than more than tennis different. I still love tennis and do definitely play more tennis than pickleball, but The thing about pickleball is I can compete at the nationals, whereas in tennis, that's definitely not going to happen. Hang on. So this is you thinking Wimbledon, probably not going to happen, but I've got a shot at being the the greatest British pickleball player of all time. Yeah, I wouldn't quite say that. But (laughs) like last week, Sam and I went to the nationals in Bolton and yeah, that was national level pickleball, whereas I wouldn't be able to have that sort of opportunity in tennis. Sam, how did you first get involved? Yeah, it's a really similar story to Jesse, really. My cousin actually just literally invited me to go along with him. He'd been the week before. I went along and that was probably six years ago. And back then, the average age of pickleball players was a lot higher. So I was in like this room full of 60, 70 year olds and just being beaten up playing sport basically um and having played you know tennis table tennis football um i'm not that competitive but there was that side of me that was like you know this can't happen so i just kept going back and back and back and then you know like jesse said it's it's one of those things i think ed you described it as the pickable bug earlier um and can confirm that is 100 percent true amazing and and so how did, how did your paths converge then so we actually used to play tennis together oh. a while ago I, I couldn't tell you how many years ago and it was sort of just again paths colliding 
you know, with pickleball sort of thing. And you just mentioned the uh, England 22 Nationals, which just took place. Talk to us about that. What was it like? Uh, what was the atmosphere like? It's an amazing thing to be a part of, actually. It's it's like you're in this little bubble of everyone's there to do one thing. It sounds like the Labour Party conference, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> But with, but, but, but but with it's, more it's, rackets, more rackets and wiffle balls. <laughs> less waffle, more wiffle ball. But is it, is it like, because it is at the moment this um, niche cult thing, mm. do, do you feel incredibly connected to everybody that you know about this thing that at the moment, <laughs> and it's changing, but at the moment most people have never even heard the word? Yeah, it's actually so nice to go somewhere where everyone knows what the sport is rather than having to explain to every new person what pickleball is I think also like you umpire the games yourself so I think in general the atmosphere is so much more friendly than other sports as well and it's weird because you end up competing against friends of yours because it is a smaller community you umpire yourselves you don't have an umpire is that right you do it yourself so this is like pub quizzes where you mark each other's papers and does that does that work out <laughs> jesse all right it does although i don't think i have a great reputation for my online calls oh, no. um <laughs> so i'm not very good at judging that um but yeah i think in general everyone's very fair and as fair as they can be and, and where were the nationals and how many people were there so it was held at Bolton Arena, um, which traditionally is a tennis venue and quite like an elite tennis venue. And over the four days, there were 430 people competing across the week, which is is pretty cool considering last year we did the same event and there were 240. So it's almost double the number of participants within the space of 12 months. Did you have a crowd? I wouldn't say like a crowd that came specifically they bought tickets etc but there's so many you know family and friends that come along to support it because like Jesse said it is just that amazing community atmosphere where we all get to know each other um so some people were injured and they traveled you know hours just to be there like just for the weekend which is pretty cool as well so there's not like a Henman Hill for uh, I don't know a, a Basford Bump or a, a Murray Mound. What would a Danga a Danga Dell yet? Some of it's live streamed on Facebook, so people were watching it by that, and there was a centre court with commentators. But yeah, I don't think it's comparable to um, Wimbledon yet. Yeah, just yet. yet, not yet. Yes, yes. Keyword. And, and if you each of you had to explain the appeal of pickleball we sort of covered it a little bit already but just as we sort of spread the pickleball word and give give other people the bug sam what would you what would you both say i think for me it's it's just like the community feel so i've been lucky enough to to travel all over the world playing pickleball i can walk onto any pickleball courts anywhere in the world and i know that it will be fun i'll have good games and I'll probably get invited back for a drink or or dinner afterwards. It's just that knowledge that wherever I am in the world, A, I'm starting to find pickleball more, uh, but B, I know that it's, it's going to be a good time and ev- literally everybody that plays it is, is really nice. Jesse? I think the same reason as Sam, like there's such a lovely group of people who I play with, 
in rugby um for me also the sport itself it's it's fast paced and it's it's also really accessible to everyone um when you compete you there are two age categories that you compete in 19 plus and 50 plus so oh so ed would be in one category and i'd be in the younger one then (laughs) still got six months six months to go but maybe i've got a chance of some kind of championship in the senior in the the senior league yeah senior league yeah yeah. although i think it's very competitive in the uh, retirement communities true actually yeah it is and like you're less likely to injure yourself um and get tennis elbow and things like that that's good because a fall at ed's age can uh, you know it can it can really uh, affect you <laughs> and and uh, moving on he said uh sam you're going full-time into pickleball yes that's correct you've quit the day job i have i didn't last long i call it retiring after three months of full-time work <laughs> wow so yeah, I finished university in in June. Um, walked straight into a job, and I've had this like opportunity arise. I'm working with a company called Dropshot um, to expand their pickleball presence in the UK. Alongside that, coaching. We're trying to run quite a few events next year just to feed the appetite of of UK players. Um, there's so much demand for events. Um, purely on a social level more than anything else so yeah I'm I've taken the plunge now I'm just doing what I love doing but that says something about where you think pickleball is heading in the UK right a hundred percent a hundred percent and where do you where do you think that is it's difficult to say the growth at the moment is is 60 percent year on year so who knows where it could end up um in the states at the moment there's you know, the low end estimate is 5 million players. The high end estimate is is 10 million players. Um, so many places to play. So many, you know, there's professional tours. There's celebrities investing in pickleball. So the the sky's the limit, really. And Jesse, can I, can I ask, um, you both seem like athletic people that I would expect to be interested in uh, competition and rigorous physical exercise. Is there something unique to pickleball, which means it's a bit more inclusive to people who perhaps don't fit that archetype? I would definitely say so. And particularly in comparison to tennis, the, because the weight of the ball is, well, it's so light and the paddle itself is also really light you don't need the like force of your body behind the ball and also of course the court is smaller particularly if you're playing doubles you have less court that you need to cover and one of the big techniques in pickleball is to is called dinking um so you come into the net and you do short shots um low shots over the net so you're not actually having to move around the court as much as you could in singles game of tennis, for example. Sounds ideal for you, Jeff. Dinking, yeah. No, no, I meant sort of not having to move around. <laughs> that too, yes. Um, sounds, is it good exercise? Yes, incredibly good exercise. Also, you do a lot of squatting. Um, so, yeah, it's good for toning as well. But, yeah, you doubles is more popular, but also singles is incredibly intense i think it's the accessibility the thing that's coming across from all of you is like the accessibility of the game that feels like if you want to take up tennis mm-hmm. and you haven't had lessons it's really t- it's it's quite hard you've got to get to quite a good stage in order to be able to really enjoy, yeah. enjoy tennis whereas 
it sounds like from what you've been saying and and also what uh, Louise said that you can just get straight into pickleball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, actually, at the nationals uh, last week was the first wheelchair uh, competition for pickleball as well. Wow. And what would you say to people who've who've never tried it, um, but they can hear the enthusiasm in this episode and think, I'd like to give it a go. I don't know where to start. Um, I'm not sure if it's for me. What's the thing you would say to those people to lure them into your world? For me, it's just like like anything really is have a go. Um, there's There's nothing stopping you going along. And like you said, the main thing is accessibility. So no matter who comes into our club in rugby, I do them an introduction to pickleball session and within an hour of them walking in the door, they're playing matches, knowing how it works against regular players that have been coming for a few years. I can feel the bug. Even though Jesse and Sam are not in the same room as us, Jeff, I can feel the bug, <laughs> mm. the pickleball bug. We need to get you to play. I'm going to play. I'm going to play. I, I am. I'm going to take my kids, I think. Oh, are you? I thought that maybe <laughs> since it's doubles, I was waiting for the invitation, but maybe not. Well, thank you so much, two of you. We're going to watch with interest and, you know, and join in, hopefully. Yeah, we're, but, like, it's really brilliant to talk to you both. And, and also, if I may say, you know, you're both really kind of, in, you know, you're kind of inspiring advocates uh, and evangelists for the sport. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it was your uh, it was your finely tuned cultural antenna that led us to pickleball, and you were keen to uh, to find out more. What do you think? As I've said many times on the podcast, I am not sporty, and even when we did part run, which I found such an inspiring idea, nothing about me yeah. thought well, maybe I could yeah. join in with that regularly. Whereas. The range of people yeah. that Louise described yeah. Yeah. made me think, could there be a place for me in the pickleball world? Definitely. I think we found your sport. You know, I think there is something interesting, isn't there? Or two things, really, that come out for me. One is it's obviously very accessible in the sense of you can pick up a racket and play. It's a bit like, I probably will be offending lots of people here, but it's a bit like playing tennis in half a court. I mean, not exactly, but, you know, if you imagine playing with kids in half a court of tennis with underarm, you know what I mean? So that is a much more accessible thing than the whole overarm serve and the whole length of the tennis. So it's obviously very accessible. And there obviously is a great sense of kind of community about the pickleballers. It's this kind of upstart sport, isn't it? Mm. It's interesting that they're their own empires. I know. That's the thing that's always appealed to me about tennis, sitting in a high chair presiding over things i don't think i could imagine be playing i'd be sort of i think i'd be quite anxious if i was my own our own umpire. what do you think um pickleball teaches us about building a social movement i think it's there's something about belonging yes something about a sense of community well, is, is, is that the interesting thing so obviously jennifer said pickleball's been around for longer than people think since the 60s but the fact that it has exploded in recent years yeah. feels like it's not just about money but maybe there is an underlying want for connection do you yeah. think there's something there's something in that perhaps? Yeah, obviously it's fun, it's exercise. You think I'm basically trying to stretch enthusiasm no, for no, pickleball to fit a rubric think, for the, po- of no, the podcast? No, I think you might be right. Do you, now, are, the big question is, are we going to play or do you think we're just going to sort of say, oh, isn't that good, and then sort of forget about it? <laughs> I'll wait for your invitation. It's in the post. You could just ask me now. We've got calendars on our phones. Listening to Reasons to Be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Now, if you're thinking, I'm enjoying this pickleball chat, but it's a slight left turn 
uh, from what I expect from this podcast. Left field. We've, we've got something else for you this week as well. We're going to put out a cheerful book club episode. It's a conversation we had the other day that I found incredibly interesting. My brain was whirring for hours afterwards. Do you want to uh, tell us about yes, it? Yes, and it's it's a new book by Anand Giradas uh, called The Persuaders, Winning Hearts and Minds in a Divided Age. And really, it's an argument about how we don't just essentially tell people we're right but persuade them to agree with us and how progressives should go about that and he's got lots and lots of different sort of examples from mainly around america just of 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 some of the ideas about how should we persuade people and i I must say i found it a really really impressive and interesting conversation he has this great phrase that he's not arguing for persuasion by dilution in other words it's not about saying well, let's take our ideas and then water them down massively in order to hope to people to persuade them. But I think he's he's got a view about the way I think it's really partly maybe born of the social media age, but the way we go about I suppose you'd say preaching at people, wouldn't you, rather than persuading And what them. works and what doesn't and work. What works and, it, and what doesn't stuff work. we've touched on a lot in the past yeah. and campaigning and framing, yeah. but it brings it all together in such a compelling way and I think anybody who, if you find yourself in a situation with co-workers or friends or family and there's an ideological divide, I think it's really insightful on how to bridge that. So we thought to whet your appetite and give you a little taster of what's coming up later this week. Uh, here's, uh, here's a clip from that. What would you say is the central sort of uniting thesis about how to persuade or the way in which we should be persuading in that we're not at the moment. I love that question because I, in my books, always write about disparate people, disparate worlds, and I tell their stories. And and kind of only at the end do you see if there's any patterns because I'm not starting with the patterns, right? I'm starting with the people. And yet at the end, there really were a couple very clear things that emerged. So I think above all, the people I'm writing about who do a good job of persuasion in a divided time Their mental model of people on the far side from them politically is really different from most of our mental models. They think of people as fundamentally complicated rather than fundamentally monolithic. They have the discipline to continue to believe that about people, even in the face of all the apparent evidence that it's not true, even in the face of all their anger. The thing is, I think part of the culture of a polarized time is that we all know that we are complicated and... You and I may agree on issues, so I may grant that you are also complicated. I will grant you the complexity of your humanity. But to the people on the distant shore, we imagine that they're just monoliths, that that they'd be a single story all the way down. First of all, empirically, this is not true. Second of all, it's an incredibly self-defeating political attitude. You think you're insulting them, but what you're really talking about is your own political impotence to move them. And so once these persuaders have that different mental model on something like climate, they are aware that someone thinks climate change is not real or has been influenced by any number of disinformation or or thinks that government is not the right actor, whatever it is. But they're then asking, what is the B side of the record of that person? What else may be going on? So I would say above all, that notion of people as fundamentally complicated is is paramount. And second, I would say, there is, everyone I'm writing about in this book thinks about the fundamental work of politics as, to use a term they use often, meaning-making. 
which is a 24-7-365 process of helping citizens array their patchwork of experiences, stimuli, things they read, things their kids come home from school and say, just the raw material of life, helping people array that into a politics, into a worldview. I don't think those of us who want more democracy, more human rights, more justice for more people, I don't think we have done as good a job as the far right at walking with people through their psychological transitions. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. Oh, ho, ho, we're in the outro. And you're off to COP27. I am with Rishi Sunak. Well, not exactly with Rishi Sunak. He did this quite sort of disastrous hokey-cokey, didn't Should he? I stay or should I go? Yeah. Uh, he's now going on a day trip. He's a day tripper. Sunday driver, yeah. Uh, I think he's sort of basically been dragged into going, hasn't he? By the kind of Boris Johnson going, Alec Sharma saying he should go. He's, I think he's just heard you're going and he wants to spend some quality time with you. Yeah, I don't, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised. Are anyway. you looking forward to it? Well, I mean, I know there's an odd question to ask given the seriousness of the issues that are going to be discussed. I think it is important that people wonder why do these summits matter? And they do matter because of all the problems the world faces, this is the one most of all where we can only tackle it together and that's why and the UN process is very flawed and all that but it's the best process we've got it's like you're trying to do something incredibly difficult with 190 countries Uh, but the other thing is my big message is uh, this is actually not my phrase originally but it's such a brilliant phrase I think it was a Costa Rican president who said this at the UN a decade ago and it's even more true now it's cheaper to save the planet than destroy it why do I say that it's because clean energy, renewables, like solar, wind, and so on, it's just much cheaper than gas. And I think that is a big change from where we were a decade mm. ago. So that is a reason for optimism. And are you and Rishi taking the same private jet there? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, we're not. Um, and he's cycling. I am, exactly. No, I'm walking. No, I'm on a scheduled flight. We should thank our guests. I'd like to thank our pickleballers, Jennifer Lucor, Louis Stevens, Jesse Danger, and Sam Basford. Emma Corsham is our audio producer. All our content is lovingly produced by Rachel Barmer, who is supported by Joe Kenyon at Goldfish. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Ed Seed composed the music. James Deacon made our eye dance, and our artwork was designed by Henry Cull. He's been Ed Miliband. He's been Jeff Lloydikins. And these have been Reasons to be Cheerful. 